Hi, good morning, Heartland. So glad that you're all here in the room. Welcome those of you watching online, including my daughter, Ava. She's watching in her bed. Hi, baby, I love you. Um, you guys came to the right service because uh, this whole week, yeah, it was like, you know, 70 degrees, beautiful out, and it's going to snow tonight. So we're all moving south this evening, uh, if you're with me. This is our last service at Heartland. We're out of here. We're playing Heartland Phoenix, all right? So if you guys are into that, let's go. Uh, welcome to this brand new series, as Ashley said, see for yourself. I'm so excited uh, for what I get to talk about today. It's very near and dear to my heart, um, talking about this uh, element of Jesus' character that we might not be very familiar with. Um, there are a lot of things about Jesus we are very familiar with. In fact, even if, if you're in the room or uh, those of you watching online or, or anybody who doesn't follow Jesus would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, there are certain things you would associate with him just naturally. People tend to uh, know that Jesus was kind, that he was patient, that he didn't really like the Pharisees that much. He was generous. He was humble. He was compassionate. Uh, and there's another thing we often associate with Jesus that is illustrated very well if you Google image search Jesus, which that uh, Jesus was very serious, very stoic, kind of boring, almost angry all the time. Uh, so if you Google image search Jesus, here are some of the first results that you get. I don't know what he's looking at up in the sky, but uh, this is Swedish Jesus, for those of you that are unfamiliar with and that's funny because Jesus was 100% Jewish, and I know zero Jewish people with blue eyes and light blonde hair. So that's, anyway, there's, there's Jesus. here's another one where he's looking right into your soul. Um, very groomed mustache. He had, they had beard oil back in the day, so he really made that work. This next one's a little scary. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just looks always a little angry. But th again, this is if you Google image search Jesus, this is one of the first things that comes up. And I'd say, again, most of us, would, when we would think of Jesus, this might be one of the first things that, that comes to mind is somebody like this. But we're going to look at an element of Jesus's personality, a characteristic of Jesus that is very rarely talked about. And some of you might have never heard this ascribed to Jesus, because while, yes, it is accurate to say that there were, you know, times where he was very intense, very serious, um, you know, very passionate uh, towards like the Pharisees or what, you know, when he flipped tables in the temple and whatever like that. But Part of Jesus' personality that we're going to spend our entire morning talking about is the fact, is the truth, is the reality that Jesus was funny. That's correct. Jesus Christ was funny. Not just fun sometimes, not just kind of lighthearted occasionally, didn't just like dole out pity laughs, which I'm real accustomed to, you know, so that wasn't like his thing. He had a legitimate sense of humor and he used it all the time. Throughout his entire life and ministry and teaching and stories and conversations, he regularly used a variety of types of humor, not only to better communicate his point and whatever he was trying to say, but also just to make his listeners laugh and smile. God himself is funny. The platypus was not an accident. I don't know, that's a ridiculous animal. I don't, you know, that wasn't like, an, he didn't sneeze and it came out and he's like, well, I can't fix it. You know, he was like, Duckbill, beaver tail, it's going to lay eggs. Boom. And the angels were like, are you sure, Lord? That doesn't line up in any categories. Like, it's hilarious, guys. It's going to be great. We're going to do that. <laughs> but too often, God is thought of as this, like, angry, crotchety old man with a beard in the sky who's just, like, waiting for us to mess up so that he can cast down judgment. But that is not the God that I know that I follow, not the God from Scripture. I'll never forget the story I heard from a pastor. I listened, as a kid, I listened to this sermon, and it kind of inspired me to, to want to pursue ministry because he was like, loved scripture, but he also was funny. And I'm like, you can do both? Like, God's okay with that? 
Uh, but he told this story that I never forgot. His name was Ken Davis. Uh, he talked about where he gave a, a, a presentation one time, a sermon one time, uh, with kind of a panel in front of a big group of people, and they had all the chairs lined up on the back of the stage where all the, the speakers were sitting. And he, he delivered his sermon, and he finished, and he got a standing ovation. People just like loved what, what he had said and what God said through. So he went back and sat on the back of the stage, and people were standing and clapping. And he talked about how he had this moment of pride of just like, you're welcome, God. Like, man, I just nailed that. Like, I just am, like, killing it in ministry. And look at all these people. And, like, I'm so proud of myself. And he described this moment where he was like, and God has a sense of humor. And so what the Lord did is he reached down and knocked his chair off the back of the stage. So he was sitting like, you're welcome. Yes, thank you so much. And then he toppled off the back of the stage. And some people might look at that and be like, oh, the devil tried to get in there and wedge his way in the darkness. And he was like, no, no, no. God knew I was being prideful, and he's funny, and so he's like, let's humble you just a little bit, Ken, and so he knocked him off the stage. Another key piece of evidence that shows us that God is funny is seen in God's chosen people, the Jewish people. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus was 100% Jewish, and something that was pointed out to me by actually my mom as I was preparing this message is how comedy and Jewish people are linked very significantly. There are a lot of very funny Jewish comedians uh, over the past couple years. I'm just going to list a couple. This is not an exhaust, exhaustive list, but buckle up. Here's a, a short list of, of people who are Jewish who are also very, very funny. Get ready. Uh, Joan Rivers, John Stewart, Billy Crystal, Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry Stiller, Paul Rudd, Rilda, Gilda Radner, Goldie Hawn, Mel Brooks, Jerry Lewis, Larry David, Don Rickles, we're only halfway through, Sarah Silverman, Andy Samberg, Roddy Dangerfield, Lauren Michaels, David Cross, Andy Kaufman, Maya Rudolph, Paul Reiser, Mark Maron, Stephen Wright, Christopher Guest, B.J. Novak, Danny Kaye, Alex Bornstein, Groucho Marx, and so many more. Throughout history, it is clear that God's people excel at comedy, Jesus included. And to be honest, humor plays a very important part in our lives. Comedy is a value to all of us. We remember comedic movies that we saw for our entire lives. My wife, Lindsay, thought I was really funny until she saw, like when we were dating, until one day I had like Dumb and Dumber on in the background. And she was like, are all your funny lines from this movie? And I was like, no, some are from Tommy Boy and Anchorman, okay? I diversify, I mix it up a little bit. Like, we remember them forever. If you have an inside jokes between a friend that you develop over a long time, you might not see that person for decades, but when you see them again, you can pick up right where you left off because you reminisce about all the inside jokes and funny things you experience. We can purchase entire books just of jokes. Stand-up comedians have Netflix specials, international tours, and they sell out entire arenas built for sporting events. Through social media, anybody who's funny, you don't even need to be famous, but anybody who has a sense of humor has the ability to put it out there and be funny and for the world to appreciate it. We appreciate comedic TV shows forever, even 50 years after they've gone off the air. Shows like Friends or Seinfeld or The Office or even older ones like MASH or I Love Lucy or Family Matters still get airtime and they get millions of viewers because we just want to enjoy, even though we know what the punchline is going to be or the situation is going to be, we want to watch it because we just like to laugh and we appreciate comedy. One of my favorite things about humor, I think I realized this, I, believe, I think I was at an airport and I was having a meal, and of course at an airport, you know, many different languages and many different cultures and, and, and backgrounds, and I remember there was a, a group of people who did not speak English at a table next to me and they were having a good time, and there was a moment where they just burst out laughing at something somebody said, and I remember I had this thought where I was like, laughter knows no language. 
Like, it does not matter what language you speak, laughter sounds the exact same and unites mankind because you do not have to speak the same language to laugh and it sounds the same. Because I believe there is a lot of power in comedy. It's not just fun. There's a lot of power in it. Comedy enables us to learn and understand certain things in profound ways that we might not be able to otherwise. Comedy can help us discuss difficult or potentially volatile issues or subjects with open minds and softer hearts. It also enables us to talk about pain, our own pain, in ways that we might not be able to talk about it or might never talk about it unless it's framed in a comedic way. It forces us to think about other perspectives and other opinions and other lifestyles that we otherwise might not give any thought to, but through laughter, we are forced to consider. Things like politics or racial tension or sexuality or relational issues or differing opinions can be experienced directly through humor. The power of comedy can knock down our human, most oftentimes selfish, opinionated walls and enable us to experience differing perspectives and opinions. It opens our minds and it softens our hearts. In a documentary series on CNN called The History of Comedy, uh, there was a quote that said this, said there's something about giving somebody a fact or a piece of information that may be a little confrontational that people may object to it. But if you can turn it into a punchline, they're much more open to it. A few more quotes along this same line. Uh, Sammy Rhodes, who is a, a teacher and a comedian, says, My students feel more connected to someone who's using humor than someone who takes themselves way too seriously. They want to have serious conversations, but humor often has to be a part of it in order for them to have those conversations. Ryan Reynolds, who's kind of funny. I'm kidding. He's hilarious. Uh, he, in an article, said, There's something to be learned by taking life a little less seriously. Laughing can serve you in those dark moments and even help you crawl your way back out. And in a Showtime show about comedy in the 1970s, there's a line where a character says, Comedy is creating pleasure from pain, which I love that. And if you've been around Heartland at all, or even if this is your first time watching or listening, you know that, that humor and fun are a priority here at Heartland. Not just something like kind of happenstance happens, not just something that whimsically we figure out. It is a priority because we understand there is a lot of power in it. One of my personal mottos that I like to utilize in ministry, I learned from a, a funny pastor friend of mine a long time ago, and he said this, and I never forgot. He said, he goes, yeah, we take the gospel really seriously, but not ourselves. And I was like, that's brilliant. And if you've been around Heartland, you're like, yeah, you don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, you get it. I mean, we make fun of ourselves. We make fun of each other because we know we're, there's nothing special about us. We're not, we're not important. I happen to be privileged to work in a vocation in ministry as a pastor, but we're all the same. The gospel is the point, not me. In fact, if you look at uh, throughout history, so many times when those in spiritual authority misused their power or abused their power or miseducated people, on the, like represented Jesus incorrectly, it was oftentimes because they were taking themselves too seriously and the gospel not enough. So we at Harlan take the gospel seriously, but not ourselves. We understand the power of comedy, again, not just because it's fun, but because it is biblical. The Bible teaches us that through Jesus, we can experience joy despite circumstances. Jesus is the only one who does that. Every other product or commercial or experience or group out there says, if you adhere to this, if you sign here, if you pay for this, you will change your circumstances, then you can be happy. Jesus says, listen, I can offer you joy no matter what is going on in the world around you. And any notion that we might have that Jesus is constantly serious or somebody who is just monotone, both in speech and personality, is completely false. 
I believe Jesus was incorrectly represented in many movies or images or, again, even ways people thought about Jesus, that he was just, like, you know, very intense, very serious, kind of constantly waiting for you to mess up, just, like, never fun, never smiled, never laughed. He had a great sense of humor, which is why when you also Google image search Jesus, these results come up, and I think Jesus would appreciate some of these images. Yeah. I don't know why he's in Montana. Jesus never came to Montana. Uh, this next one's my favorite, though. This one, right? Life finds a way, guys, okay? Life finds a way. He cradled the lamb. Of course he cradled the baby velociraptor. That's so wonderful. All right. So with all that in mind, you're like, are we going to talk about the Bible? No. Uh, yeah, we are. Um, with all that in mind, I want to look at three specific examples. I'm going to give you three examples of Jesus using three different types of comedy in the way that he taught, and then we're going to talk about why it matters, why it's important. Uh, first off, the important thing to understand is context is king. Um, humor is very subjective. It's very contextual. Um, something, you know, even, even right now in today's day and age, you travel a couple hundred miles in any direction, you might find a different culture where certain things are funny there that might not be as funny here, and vice versa. Also in history, if you want to travel back 10, 20, 100, 1,000 years, you know, things that are funny now weren't then and vice versa. Things that are funny then might not be now. So we have to understand the context of first century Israel that Jesus was teaching in to understand the fact that he was being very funny, even though we might not get the punchline today. So uh, the first type of comedy that Jesus used that we're going to talk about is what I'm calling the comedy of extremes. So this is when you take an idea and you take it so far to the extreme that suddenly it becomes very comedic. Uh, there's some, some examples of, of people who do this extremely well. Uh, the show Key and Peele on Comedy Central. Good heavens, that's a great show. They do that amazingly. Uh, the Simpsons are really anima any animated show because they can take it just to the nth degree because it's animation. Arrested Development did this really well. Um, I'm going to show a clip from a show that, that does this. It's a two-minute clip, but I want to show it to you. Um, it's a show called Portlandia. Those of you online, we're going to have to mute it, so you know, IFC doesn't shoo, uh, sue us. I'm so sorry. Uh, but this is a show, Portlandia. I recommend the show. It's kind of hit or miss, but the whole premise of the show is they make fun of hipsters, which is real fun to do. That's just a super in enjoyable thing to do. They just make fun of like the hipster movement. And this particular clip, uh, they make fun of uh, how, into, uh, how into it people get about eating organic meat. Um, and so they take, you'll see, they take this concept and they take it so far to the extreme. And again, making fun of hipsters is fun. We lived in Nashville for a while and man, that was hipster central. We, we, I, there was one day, I remember I was, I was driving around, and I saw a gentleman going to work, work clothes, briefcase, riding a unicycle. <laughs> and I came home, I'm like, Linz, we're moving. This, I, don't know what's, I don't know what's happening here, I'm scared, let's get, anyway, anyway. <laughs> All right, so there's a clip of Portlandia. Uh, Fred Armisen, Kerry Bronstein, both Jewish. Uh, they they're, do this skit about people who take eating organic meat to the extreme. Take a look.
<laughs> oh, man. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> the best lines of that are when Fred Armisen asks if the hazelnuts they feed the chicken, if those are local. And then he goes, I'm sorry to interrupt. I had the exact same question. That's my new line. I'm going to do that every time. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so funny. And then they go on in the sketch to go visit the farm, which is run by Jason Sudeikis. So just there, there's your tease. Go, go watch that. Okay, example of extreme. So I'm gonna, we're actually going to read two parables that Jesus told uh, and, and talk about the context and why there's extreme. The first one is from Matthew 18. Uh, it's called The Unforgiving Debtor. Uh, if you want to read along, uh, it'll come up on the side screen. So Jesus says this. Uh, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, the one who owed him uh, 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord of all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. All right, so again, let's dive into the context a little bit. His, I mean, Jesus' listeners would have been chuckling throughout this entire parable because he uses extreme after extreme. First off, what the slave owed his, uh, uh, the Lord was 10,000 talents, which was more money than the Roman government possessed. Right? Like, think national debt, okay? So just, I mean, right off the bat, he's going to the extreme, and you people are chuckling, like, oh my gosh, this guy owes everything. No way he's going to repay it at all. Better yet, when the man then prostrates himself and says, give me a little more time, and I'll pay you back. Nope, can't happen. He's like, I'm going to get a part-time job at Woodman's. I'll, you know, rack up the money. I'll I'll pay back that few trillion dollars, no problem. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. He forgives the debt, and then the top of the slave leaves and finds somebody who owes him, just a, him, a few months' wages. A hundred denarii was a few months, wa- wa- months' wages. And not only does he demand the money back, he chokes the guy and then throws him in prison. This was not only uncharitable, it was downright cruel. You know, think Bart Simpson, Homer Simpson, as he's choking, it's like really, really intense. And then the master, the Lord hears about him, calls the slaves back and says, I'm going to throw you to be tortured until you can repay it back, which obviously he cannot because he's being tortured for the rest of his life. So here, Jesus just stacks one exaggeration after another. His audience is laughing. They're finding like hilarious this uh, extremes. And then he brings the point home at the end to say, how ridiculous would it be for us to not forgive somebody and how they've offended us when God has forgiven us all of our sins. Yeah, use this humor, laughing, walls coming down, and then he drops the hammer of truth, and it's received by the people listening. One more example. This is a real famous one, but I'm going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is really powerful, but uh, also very, very funny. Uh, Parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Uh, By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. He also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs any higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus said, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So on the surface, doesn't seem to be a lot of, a lot of humor. It seems like, yeah, what a, you know, really powerful. But there's a couple extremes Jesus uses. The first extreme is uh, just mentioning the word Samaritan would have been like real intense at that moment. You think of a group of people that you, like we hate the most. Jesus chose like the extreme group of people that the Jewish people hated the most. So, you know, it'd be like a member of ISIS, right? Just like something really, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. But this was the person who stopped and showed a mercy. That's really intense. The other one is a little phrase you might not have picked up on, but when Jesus said, that the priest and the Levite crossed to the other side of the road. You and me, I, would, I just picture a big path, and they were like, I don't want to encounter this guy. I'm going to step over here and keep walking. This is a picture of the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. Not the valley in between, the two paths going along on the outside. One is through Jerusalem, one is to Jericho. Meaning, if you encountered somebody beaten up, lying bloody naked on this path, walking along, in order to, quote, cross to the other side, they would have had to backtrack to their original starting location, cross to the other side, and then retake their entire journey on the other side of the valley. It'd be ridiculous. That would be like driving down 151. You see somebody on the side of the road, you're like, I really don't want to help them. You pull an aggressive U.E., drive back to the airport in Madison, and take a plane so you wouldn't have to encounter them. This would happen. So Jesus' listeners are laughing, being like, why would you cross to the other side? That's stupid. You'd have to like quadruple your journey time, and it's the desert, and you're walking, and it's hot, and you're taking a lot of time. So Jesus uses this extreme, saying, listen, we take all like, these things to like, avoid helping somebody, you know, we let alone like, let alone somebody who might be our worst enemy. And Jesus says, no, no, don't, don't cross to the other side. Like, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Love everyone whom you encounter. All right, comedy of extremes. I could give more examples. We're going to stop. Uh, second example, second style of comedy that Jesus used. Uh, this is going to be fun uh, if you're younger in the room. Uh, Jesus used silly comedy. If you're a fan of Dumb and Dumber, you and Jesus have something in common because he used silly comedy all the time. If you're a fan of SNL or Monty Python, here's uh, scripture, Luke 6, verse 41. Uh, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your own eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now again, I just want to like shift our perspective a little bit because we read scripture, we read Jesus' words, and we just think it was like very somber, very serious. Everybody heard this like very brilliant word picture and we're like, yes, verily, Lord, amen. What a wonderful way to like convict our hearts. That was a really silly thing he said. He said like, listen, if you, some of you notice something in somebody's eye, you have a tree coming out of your face. You cannot see to take a speck out of your, your friend's eye. And then he uses the word hypocrite, which sounds like really negative. The direct translation at that time was just the word actor. Uh, the, Roman, the Roman performers who would uh, like perform on the stage in the square, they were called hypocrites because they were just pretending they were just acting. So Jesus is like, yo, quit acting like there's not a tree forest growing out of your eyeballs trying to judge other people. First take care of yourself. This is evidence, I love this, in Matthew 19. There's a bunch of kids that ran up to Jesus when he was, was teaching, and his disciples did what we probably would have done, which has been like, go, 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 get, get out of here, okay? Go play with the iPad. Jesus is teaching. Like, don't, yeah, this is not appropriate. He's a, he's a very wise, spiritual man. Jesus reprimanded his disciples, and he was like, let the children come to me. And do you know who really appreciates silly humor? Children and me. 
And Jesus used it. That's just one example. There's another example where Jesus is uh, convicting the Pharisees or like teaching people how to give, like what our heart posture should be when we give. And he says, don't be like the Pharisees who blow trumpets in the streets every time they give. That's very silly. Pharisees did not carry trumpets. They did not blow them when they gave. But Jesus was saying, you all give in a way that's like, look how much I'm giving, everyone. And he's like, that's not the way to give. Don't walk around like banging trumpets, playing music every time you give. He's like, just give from the heart. That's the way that you're meant to give. So Jesus was very silly. And uh, if you're too mature for that, we can't be friends. I'm so sorry. This, we, can't, we can't do that. One more example. And some of you are going to really like this one. Uh, third, third type of comedy that Jesus used was sarcasm. Not in a mean way. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's how I use it. Um, sarcasm. Here, this is a great example. I love this. Matthew 12, verse 1 through 5. Uh, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off heads of grain and eating them. But the, some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? It's a really powerful point Jesus makes. Here's what was important to understand. Uh, the Pharisees, by the time they were 12 years old, had memorized the Torah. As they continued to grow up, they'd memorized the rest of the Old Testament, the prophets, and then as they continued on towards Phariseeum, they memorized commentary from other rabbis on the Torah and on the Old Testament scriptures. So they knew scripture better than anybody, better than anything, which is partly why they, you know, took pride and almost to a, a point that was unhealthy. But they knew the Bible backwards and forwards, and twice in this parable, Jesus looks at them and goes, have you read that? Have you, have you all read that, uh, that book you memorized when you were 12? Do you remember that? You remember that part? that you, Like twice he says this, using sarcasm, not in a cutting way, but just to convict, to go, listen, you guys like memorize this thing. You're living your lives by it so intensely. But have you really read it? I don't think so. Because here's what it says. It says the law of God is meant to be a blessing to us, not us to become slaves to the law and convict other people. My disciples were hungry. They ate just like David, just like Moses said of the priest. There's another, uh, yeah, yeah, so many examples of that. Okay, so for those of you being sarcastic, as long as it's not cutting, you're like Jesus as well. So if you're, there's three examples. So if you use comedy of extremes, if you're silly, if you're sarcastic, Jesus used all these types of comedy when he was teaching. Again, not only to better communicate his point, but just for the sake of laughter, just for the sake of joy. And here's why all this is important. You're like, finally, here's why all this is important. Here's why it's important to understand that Jesus was funny. First off, I just genuinely think it's really important for us to have an accurate picture of who Jesus is. To have a correct understanding of his heart, of his personality. And if we go through our lives thinking that Jesus is just always serious, always stoic, always intense, always on the verge of anger towards us, that is an inc incomplete at best, incorrect at worst perception of who Jesus is because he was fun and he was funny and he was silly and he enjoys laughter and humor and joy. He loves to laugh. He loves to make people laugh. He appreciates the power of of humor and scripture speaks of this over and over again in the book of ecclesiastes it says there's a time to cry and a time to laugh when god gave sarah a child in genesis 21 she said quote god has brought me laughter all who hear of this will laugh with me when david entered jerusalem with the ark of the covenant we're told that he was skipping and laughing so if people make fun of you for skipping you're like 
David did it. Maybe don't skip. That's probably not, probably not a good idea. In the midst of Job's pain and like one of the worst moments of his life, one of Job's friends declared over him, once again, God would f- will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. We cannot fully know and understand God without knowing joy and laughter because it's part of who he is. And the second reason this is important, the second reason this is important to understand why we're talking about it this morning is reflected in one scripture uh, from Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah says this to, to the Israelites. says, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know about you, but when I think of the strength of God, I don't typically think of joy. I think of, like, vengeance, I think of strongholds, I think of fortitude, I think of, like, faith and, like, holding firm. And yes, all those things are true in, in the right time. But what if, what if, for some of you, you need the joy of the Lord to be your strength? Because God doesn't just give us joy, He is joy. And the more that we know Him, the source of all life and light and truth and joy, the more that we can experience joy, as I mentioned earlier, in any life circumstances. And for some of you in the room, those, some of you watching online, you might be in a season where you need God's strength through joy. Whether it's in your marriage, in your work, personal struggles, addiction, loneliness, depression, anything in between. The kind of strength that God wants to give you, that wants you to live in, is His joy. Not as a distraction, but as a means to walk through maybe some difficult, maybe some painful, maybe some uncharted things in life. So my challenge to you today, this is going to be the best end of, uh, end of a sermon challenge you'll ever hear, is to this week, go laugh. Aren't you glad you came to church? Go laugh laugh. Pray, ask God to make you laugh. God will not scoff at that prayer. He will not reject that prayer. I think he'll be like, yes. Because he would love to make you laugh. Maybe it's surrounding yourself with people or a group of people who make you laugh. It might be a TV show or a comedian or a book that's just going to bring you joy, a podcast that's just going to bring you joy, that's just going to make you laugh. And again, just ask God to make you laugh, because maybe for you, the joy of the Lord needs to be your strength. God does not promise he will change our circumstances, that he will snap his fingers and make everything perfect. What he does promise is that he will be with us no matter what. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. And he promises that we can experience peace that doesn't make sense and joy in all circumstances. That is an unbelievable promise. And this is something I have seen firsthand multiple times. Uh, about five years ago, um, there was a, a Heartland family, Johansson family, who's still part of our, our church today. And their daughter, Sophia, uh, tragically passed away very suddenly. Um, it was awful, awful, really uh, horrific time. Just, yeah, devastating, devastating accident. Uh, so our whole Heartland family kind of came around them and wanted to support them, and they uh, held a memorial service for Sophia. And actually, we were, uh, this was before we expanded. We were going to have it in our old auditorium, but it was t- they were like, it's too small. Too many people want to come celebrate and, and remember Sophia. So we actually did it at the high school auditorium at Sun Prairie East High School and like packed the place out. 
And it was about a 50-minute memorial service, and I, I went in, and I remember leaving, and I was like, I laughed so much over these past 50 minutes. Yes, of course, there was, you know, tears and heartbreak, and, and, and it was a devastating thing, but throughout the 50 minutes of Sophia's memorial service, there were stories and memories and pictures and jokes, and there was so much smiling and laughter at her life and the amount of people that she touched. I was so impacted by that. I remember talking to her parents who were here at church last night. I got to say hi to them and just thanking them, saying this was such a powerful experience for me and was such an unbelievable example of the joy of the Lord being a strength in that moment. In fact, that experience really paved the way for me when I experienced tragedy myself. I've uh, mentioned this before, and some of you know the story of my daughter Ava, who when she was seven, almost four years ago, suffered a traumatic brain injury and almost died and should have died and didn't. She's a little miracle, but we were in the hospital for like months and months and months and months. And I remember in the, her hospital room so clearly being like, I remember consciously thinking, we are going to keep laughing. I mean, it was devastating, and of course there were tears and incredibly dark moments and really terrible, awful conversations that we had to have, but I remember we also made an intentional choice to laugh a lot. We told stories about Ava, we laughed with Ava, even though she was like intubated and sedated, you know, we wanted to like engage her and we laugh about her and talk to her, and even nowadays, you know, she's still like a little miracle and she's nonverbal and uh, unable to move on herself, but man, every single day she gives us at least one smile, and she's doing this new thing where we think she's giggling, kind of sounds like coughing, but we're like, like, are you giggling? And then she gets the smirk, and we're like, you're a sassy 11-year-old. How dare you be still like a teenager, even though you can't use words yet? Um, but that was so key for us. And I remember people would come in and be like, this hospital room feels different. I expected, like, gloom and darkness. And again, there were moments of, like, heaviness. But we're like, yeah, we're, we, 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 we don't want to stop laughing. We don't want to stop letting the joy of the Lord be our strength. I've seen this recently, too. A uh, member of our Heartland team here, the Grimmer family, Carrie Grimmer, is a member of our staff, member of our team for a long time. She, her story is really amazing. Uh, a bunch of years ago, she uh, beat breast cancer, and that's like part of her testimony and really incredible. And then in, uh, in the last year, uh, she found out that the cancer had come back, and it was incurable and like really intense. And so our team, of course, was like devastated and broke down and, and came around her. But if you have an opportunity to meet Carrie and talk to her and talk to her family, you will hear her laugh at least 19 times. And I remember her and I have talked a lot and just about how she is living a life with the joy of the Lord being her strength. Despite circumstances, it doesn't change the circumstances. You know, it's not ignoring or, or, or like neglecting or distracting from what is real life and what is true. And I believe God is, you know, wants us to be honest and true with our feelings, even the dark, heavy ones. But at the same time, I have seen Carrie and Kurt and their boys and their families still live with the joy of the Lord being their strength. So I'm not just up here saying, hey, comedy's fun. Go watch Nate Bargatze. He's really, really funny. You should absolutely do that. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that laughter and humor is something, a core part of the God that we were just singing to and worshiping and we, the God that we follow. And for those of you who don't, that, that's great. Jesus invited his, Jesus invited people to follow him before he asked them to believe in him. So if you just want to follow, you don't have to sign anything. But just follow Jesus and you will understand he is funny. He is fun. He is witty. He enjoys laughter. He enjoys humor. And that's the kind of God I want to follow. That's the kind of life I want to live. Not only because that's wonderful and that's fun, but in life's deepest, darkest moments, God can still be fun, and we can still laugh, and we can still have joy. And the joy of the Lord can be our strength. So I'm going to pray uh, that we would learn how to live with the joy of the Lord being our strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am... <clears throat> I, Lord, I always want to have a... a, a, a intentionally correct perspective of who you are. Um, that, Lord, you are uh, our Father, 
our, our heavenly father, and like any good father, you want your children to live the best, happiest life possible. And yet, uh, life's going to throw a lot of things our way. You never promised it would be easy. You never promised it would be perfect. But you did say, when it is not easy, when it is not perfect, in fact, when it's deeply painful and deeply difficult, you can still live in joy, somehow, through the miraculous power of your spirit. Unlike most of the world, <laughs> who certain... Um, pains and difficulties, God can just take them out. You say, no, no, no. Even when life gets difficult, you can still laugh. You can still live in joy through my power. And so, Lord, I pray, God, for those in this room, for those watching or listening online, if we are in a place where we need strength, God, I pray it would be your joy. God, I pray you would show us your joy. God, teach us how to laugh. Make us laugh today, this week, this season of our lives. Lord, you are strong in every which way. But Lord, for those of us that need your joy as our strength, I pray you would teach us how to do that. Beginning right now. Beginning today. God, thank you for the gift of joy. For the gift of laughter. Because, Lord, your heart is so wonderful and so for us. 